If you've experienced a DNA surprise, you know that your emotions can range from shock to denial to grief to anger to confusion to joy and around again. And sometimes it's hard to find people who understand this unique experience. Sometimes we feel a little stuck as we navigate this journey. That's why we created the DNA Surprise Retreat. At the DNA Surprise Retreat, you'll enjoy six expert-led sessions to help you process your DNA surprise. You'll eat delicious catered meals, and most importantly, you'll build beautiful friendships with people who understand you, all in a stunning private ranch facility in the Arizona desert. If you've had shocking DNA test results, know that you're not alone. This retreat is for you. Join us September 19th through the 22nd, 2024 in Phoenix, Arizona. Registration is open now. Reserve your space at dnasurpriseretreat.com. I'll see you there. I told her, just to be very clear, from the very beginning, I did not blame her for the decisions she made as a single 20-year-old in 1971. Right. I can't imagine being in that position. I do not blame her at all. Where I have issue is the lies that she told for the next 47 years. She had many, many, many opportunities to be truthful. Imagine spinning into a tube, sending off your DNA, and unknowingly turning your life upside down. For me and thousands of others, this is our reality. I'm your host, Alexis Auerselt. In July of 2021, I discovered that I am an NPE, someone who has experienced a non-paternal event. In other words, my biological father isn't who I thought he was. This podcast shares the journeys of people who were shocked by a DNA discovery, mostly through modern DNA testing. We're telling the stories of NPEs, adoptees, and donor-conceived people and their families. This is DNA Surprises. DNA Surprises can cause major disruptions to our interpersonal relationships, particularly the bonds we have with our raised parents. But often, what most affects those relationships isn't the surprises themselves, but how people act afterward. In this episode, Stacy shares how she uncovered not one, but two NPEs throughout her life. She shares how she's built amazing relationships with her newfound family, and how things have unfortunately deteriorated with her mother. At the very end of this episode, Stacy graciously shared the letter that she wrote her mother in its entirety, and her mother's response. Thank you, Stacy, for sharing your story. My name is Stacy, and I am 50 years old, and I am from Minnesota. My DNA surprise story um, is kind of twofold. I say that because as a double NPE, I was lied to twice by my mother. So I was raised the oldest of three daughters, from southern Minnesota. I was born in 
March of 72. So growing up, my mom's first husband, his name was Pat. It was myself and my sister. And she is three years younger than me. They divorced and my mom remarried to Phil. And we had my youngest sister and she's 10 years younger than me. When I was about 10 or 11, I found out accidentally through um, overhearing a conversation about child support that my dad, my mom's first husband, was only paying child support for my middle sister and not me. So I asked, and that's when my mom told me that my dad was not my dad. So my dad, this is Pat. So Pat, you believed was your biological father until you were about 10. Correct. Um, So he's the father of my middle sister, but not me. And she told me who my dad was, who would then become my, my BCF, my birth certificate father. And his name is Lester. What was your reaction when you found out that Pat wasn't your dad? You know, I remember as, again, a 10 and 11 year old being devastated. At the time, it was very confusing and I didn't understand. And I asked a lot of questions. I remember asking, well, where is he? Why isn't he here? How come I don't know him? As long as I can remember, and it probably started then, my mom told me he never wanted anything to do with you. Mm. So as I became 12, 13 years old, back then, we looked up a phone book, I knew what town he lived in, which was right, the small town right next to us. I found his phone number, and I would call him and hang up. I'd call, hear his voice, hang up. And it was always really hard on me to think about having a dad who never wanted anything to do with me. It it, it shaped me, it affected me. When I was 16, I looked up his address and drove by his house. I was, again, now looking back, realizing I was trying to learn as much as I could about a man who wanted nothing to do with me without putting myself out there. Fast forward, uh, I was married. Uh, I was in my probably late 30s. Lester, my BCF, owned a small business in our town. And my husband took me there. And I stood across the counter from him. And of course, he didn't know who I was. And it was very emotional for me thinking I'm this close to my dad, the dad who doesn't want anything to do with me. And I really focused on that. Like I said, my entire life, it was just devastating. Repeatedly being told by my mom, every time I'd ask about him, you know, what's the story? Why? And she kept saying, why do you care? He doesn't care about you. He doesn't want anything to do with you. And I remember having my first child back in 1994. And I took that time and realized I need to stop obsessing over this man because I, here I am with a child. And the thought of abandoning a child, someone who's your own supposed <laughs> flesh and blood, is no one I wanted in my life. And I had to separate myself to survive actually. But um, so I raised my family. I asked about him once in a great while. I'd ask about, you know, my mom, I'd bring up like medical history because as I'm getting older, you know, those are things we think about, not when we're teenagers or in our twenties. And she's like, why do you got to keep asking, you know? And then every year going in for annual visits being asked and you always have to say, I don't know. I don't know that side of my family. Fast forward to um, September of 2019. My husband had 
suggested I do a DNA test and I wasn't interested. I don't care about heritage. It was nothing ever important to me. And we had a conversation and he said, you know, you know, you have half siblings out there because Lester had children. Uh, I knew that it was a small town. And so he said, they deserve to know as well. And so reluctantly, I took the test. The results came back in October of 2019. There was nothing that stuck out. I, you know, you would never know who uh, was my paternal side at the time. There was no immediate close matches, but something weird popped up on my mom's side. So I had reached out to my mom to ask her some questions about my grandma. And um, the first words out of her mouth were, oh my God, please tell me you did not take one of those tests. And I said, I did. Uh, why? She says, nothing. I'm not going to tell you. And I said, no, you're going to tell me. And if anyone knew me back then, I would never stand up to her. I would never demand anything. Um, She was a very toxic person. And so I was adamant. I said, you are going to tell me. You have to tell me. You owe me whatever it is that you need to tell me. And she said, nope, I'm going to leave a note in my will. So when I die, you'll know the truth. I said, hell no, you cannot do that to me. I deserve to know. What do you? And she said, you're not going to like me. And so she proceeded to give me the name of my biological father. Again, I was 47 at that time, um, gave me the name of him. And I remember sitting there on the phone in utter shock, taking as many notes as I could, what based on what she was saying. Luckily, my husband was home at the time and he didn't fully know what was going on. He could tell by the look on my face, it was not good. Yeah. Um, I hung up from her And I remember one of my first thoughts was, oh, my God, maybe I have a dad who would want me, that Mm -hmm. maybe my dad would love me. And I remember that, like, that that short time of hope and excitement that, oh, my God, I'm going to find my dad. So, of course, luckily, nowadays, we have Google. Mm -hmm. And so I Googled his name. And the first thing that pops up is his obituary. (sighs) It was devastating. And I just got give myself goosebumps just thinking back to it. You know, in that heartbeat, that moment in time, I my my world crashed again. I printed it off. I gathered as much as I could from them. Thank God for obituaries. We get a lot of information. And there were three children named and a widow. And the children had different last names. And I couldn't understand why. But of course, Facebook is a thing. And so I searched on Facebook for them and found two of them. I reached out via Facebook Messenger, and as we all know, if you're not friends, it sits there and may never be seen. I gave it a couple of days, actually uh, one day. Um, The next day, I didn't hear from her, so I messaged one of the the brothers. And on the message, I mean, how do you send a message to somebody who's potentially, um, you know, and I said, I know this is going to sound weird, but I believe I am your dad's daughter. And it was read. He responded, which I found out afterwards was actually his wife. His wife, like, checks all of his stuff because he just is not technically savvy. And he asked a ton of questions, expected from anybody, asked where I was born, how old I was, what my mom's name was. And I answered them all. Uh, I was very forthcoming. And I said, I do not believe he knew about me. Uh, He was in my town building drive-in movie theaters and 
he asked to see a picture of me. So of course I sent it and he saw the picture and based on my answer, he says, we don't, we don't need a DNA test. We know that you're his daughter. You look exactly like him. And at that time he traveled building drive-in movie theaters. I found out that he thought he could never have children. He married a woman with three very young children and raised them as his own, hence the different last name. And the youngest one is a a daughter who's born the same year I was. And that's the only dad she's ever known. And so for her, it is her dad. Mm -hmm. I remember reading these texts that were just we were going back and forth on this on messenger. He said to me uh, at one point, he said, I assure you, he did not know about you. Had he known about you, you would have been in our lives. Mm. How did you feel when you read that? I, I wrote it down in my journal after the fact. And I said, I heard the words I never knew I ever wanted to hear. But at the same time, it's devastating because now I find out I have a dad who would have wanted me, but never had the opportunity to know about me. He he passed away in 2007, never having known about me. I struggled a lot. It was like the, 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 the rug had been taken out from under me. And just in one sense, it's me realizing, in fact, I have a dad who would have loved me. On the same hand, what I lost out on my entire yeah life. Did you learn did you learn anything about him through the siblings? Like have they welcomed you? Very much. So that was the the Facebook messaging was going on um uh, October 21st of 2019. We messaged each other all day every day and they hadn't told their mom yet. Um they decided they'd come together, go to her place and tell her about me. And they went there and suddenly I got this surprise conference call from them and she was very welcoming and it immediately was, all right, when are you coming to visit us? So again, at, I'm in Minnesota. I'm in now Mep, Northern Minnesota. They are in Southern Illinois. Okay. That's where he was born and raised and uh, lived. And unlike my personality, we booked a flight and we went down there for Christmas that wow. same year we flew to, my husband and I flew down there how was that it was terrifying I, re- I remember wanting to stop as we were getting close to their house and I just wanted to puke it was the most emotions going on the excitement the nerves the I was terrified and we were staying at because it's a very small town there are no hotels and my new sister which she's my stepsister, but we call each other sisters, insisted we stay at their house. So now you're meeting these people. They want you to stay in their house. And we pulled up there and it was an immediate connection, mm-hmm. open arms, love, feelings that I don't know that I can ever compare it to anything I've, I've gone through with my own family that I grew up with. It was overwhelming. So I met all of the siblings, their spouses, their children, their extended family, some uh, nieces and nephews and cousins and all sorts of things. I got to see his gravesite, which was extremely emotional. I had made a rock, uh, a stone, engraved stone, and said, for the father I never knew, but love just the same, love Stacy. Mm-hmm. And I brought that to his, his gravesite. 
and all of the siblings were there and their kids. And it was a very obviously emotional thing, but the support and the love that these people showed, like I said, instantly was overwhelming. We know that there's a lot of people who do not have that same story. And it helped because I lost so much and I asked them a ton of questions and everybody I met like, oh my God, you are Donald's daughter. And I said, I look just like him. Mm. And everybody said he would have done anything to have been in your life. And I heard it repeatedly from my, the siblings, their children who adored their grandfather. Um, I met his wife, his widow. Initially, it was a really awkward time. Um, I really believe she thought I was after something that I wanted either money, land. I don't know. I have no idea, but she was very reserved and very, it felt very closed off. Now I can say fast forward almost two years. I was just there last month, unfortunately for unfortunate events, but she now refers to me as her daughter. She's given me so many mementos of his that I treasure. And it continues. I just got something in the mail over the weekend from her mm-hmm. of my dad's. And so it took her a while to trust me. And I understand that, but I'm very fortunate. Fast forward to the beginning of 2020, my paternal cousin. So now this family that I met, again, we are not blood related. And they aren't very close with my dad's uh, when I say dad, my bio father, mm-hmm. uh, my dad's biological family. So it was his sister. He had one sister and her family. They were not close with them. And so there was never any um, push from them to meet that side. Okay. And so I just took what I could. I took the information and the relationships that I could build. Well, I got a call from my new cousin. Um, and she called and she said, yeah, we, we hear that there's a possibility. And I said, yeah. And they're like, well, Uncle Don couldn't have children. So, you know, we don't know, more or less, we don't know what we believe or not. And I said, I completely understand. Here, this is what I would love to do. If I send a DNA test to his sister, my aunt, and I was working with one of her grandsons, I, I said to the two of you, would you take a DNA test? I'll pay for it. You just need to spit in the tube. And they said, yeah, we'll do that. So I sent both of them DNA tests. And as we know, that weight is the worst. Mm -hmm. And I had to prepare myself because, again, I got this name from my mom. I had nothing in a DNA, you know, any of my my records, my matches, my trees. And so I'm (laughs) nervous. Other than everybody telling me I look just like him. Um, I, again, I understood the hesitancy. So we waited, we waited, the test came in and I said, all right, if she doesn't want a relationship with me, that's okay. I'm still okay. The results came in and she's my aunt and her grandson is of course my second cousin. The next day I got a phone call and said, all right, when are we going to meet you? Wow. And so that those results came in. In February of 2020, we flew down. Unfortunately, we couldn't get down there until September of 2020. Um, and that time, it was my husband and I and my son. And we went down there with the, the, the intentions of meeting my aunt, 
closest blood relative I had to my father. Yeah. Um, and we drove there because it's COVID and flights were unreliable. And so we drove down there and we went to their house and I spent 10 hours with the most open-armed, mm. open-hearted, loving aunt, uncle, four cousins, their kids, their grandkids. It was the largest, most overwhelming, amazing day. That's incredible. Um, it was, you know, they were very reluctant, but as soon as they had that proof, they, there was zero holdback from them. They asked for my story, like details. So I sat down, told them my story. And um, there's a lot of anger and bitterness from them towards my mom. Mm-hmm. Because of what they took, what she took away from not only my dad, but from them, what they lost out on. Um, my youngest cousin is two years older than me. So there's so much growing up together that we would have missed out on, or we missed out on that we would have had. And the relationships have only grown. It's been amazing. I've been back, I think, six times. Wow. I have to fly to St. Louis, rent a car, drive an hour and a half to go to their house. And um, I've been there, like I said, the, my my daughter who lives in Nashville came up and met everybody. Uh, the next time I went down, my aunt started getting having some medical issues. And that triggered a whole nother emotion for me. Here's this lady who honestly, the unconditional love, the open arm that I don't know that I had from any of my original family, I wasn't ready to lose her. And it was emotional for me. I called her every other week. We talked on the phone and then she started going downhill and I treasured every second I got with her. So the last time I was down there was January of this year, 2022. Um, I went by myself and I spent a full day taking her to doctor's appointments and testing and talking to her and just her vulnerability with me was something that Again, I never had with my own original family. And so I don't want to say it completed me because I'm still working on a lot of that. Um, But it made me feel feelings I'd never felt before. Sadly, so the last time I saw her was January 4th, August 24th. She passed away. Mm, I'm so sorry. So it really felt like I lost Again, you know, yeah. I lost my dad, who I never had the to go through any of that with. It felt like losing such an important part of my life. Yeah. I am so grateful for the almost two years I had with her. The pictures, the stories, everything she shared with me was priceless. The relationships I have with my cousins are priceless. Um, so I flew down there uh, for her funeral, and um, the family coordinated with me to make sure I could be there in time or they were going to plan it accordingly. I was listed on the obituary. I was part of the family pre-funeral, all of it. And so it was a very special, hard, horrible event. Um, But I, again, felt like part of the family. And everybody was introducing me as this is Donald's daughter. And you get a couple looks because they're from a really small town. And they're all looked at me like that side eye, like Donald's daughter. And they're like, yeah, we can see it. We see it. They, yeah, she's her, his daughter. Um, and then they follow it up by saying, yeah, he never knew. And they said, that's really sad. And so 
I did gain a lot by the two years I knew her and the relationships I've built since. I'm so sorry for your loss. Mm. She sounds like an amazing person. And it must have been so bittersweet in a way because you're grieving this remarkable relationship. You're also building even more relationships and feeling even more welcome to the fold. So I I can't imagine Mm. what that must be like to process. Did your mom ever say why she did not tell you about him? So as wonderful as this reunion has been, um, it has been devastating on the other side. Mm. Now, what I know is my mom was 20 when she got pregnant with me. She was single. Um, My biological father was single. So there's no reasons for lies. Mm -hmm. Once she gave me the name, and I'm so grateful that she gave me the name because I would have had to get DNA angels. I would have had a lot of work to actually get to the name of my biological father. And I'm so grateful for that because there are a lot of people who do not, after years, don't know the name of their fathers. Mm -hmm. So I'm grateful for that. Once I did all of this, reaching out, all the research, all of that, I called my mom because I had more questions for her. So back when I originally got these details, I called her and the first thing she, I said, I found him. And she goes, well, he's dead, isn't he? I said, yes, in fact, he is. How do you know that? And now keep in mind, I'm taking notes every time I talk to her. Yeah. And she said, well, Reggie told me. I said, well, who's Reggie? And she was telling me the story about Reggie. Reggie was the man she was dating. And Reggie worked with my dad. But Reggie kept in touch evidently and told her she had always said she got pregnant by the first man she had sex with. And it turns out there were three, my BCF, Reggie, and my dad. So I was shocked by this. I uh, proceeded fast forward. I found Reggie. I sent him a letter. I had a lot of questions. Nothing was adding up. He called me after calling my mom to find out why her daughter was calling him which did not sit well with my mom. But I had a conversation with him and he was a pleasant man. And he said, honestly, I thought you were calling to tell me I was your dad. And I said, well, I'm sorry. Um, No, but tell me as much as you can about my dad. You knew him as a friend and he had amazing things to say about him. He was surprised. He didn't know my mom had slept with him. Oh, okay. And I said, well, how did you find out that he had died? And he said, well, your mom told me So as you can see the theme here, so there's a lot of um, withheld information or outright lies. I'm not sure. And so I thanked him for the information. He gave me some other names that he had worked with that might have some dad information. And I really pulled away from my mom. I had kind of started pulling away from her anyway, because she is kind of a negative, toxic person. And so that wasn't unheard of for me to not talk to her very often, but I decided I was going to sit face to face with her. I live about four hours away from her now. And I made a list of questions. I had arranged to meet her for breakfast one day in her town. And I had a list of questions that I wanted answers to. And I had decided that this meeting was going to make us or break us. Mm -hmm. This was it. We were going one of two ways based on her honesty. And we sat down and I told her, Again, I don't fault you for the decisions back, you know, when you were a single 20-year-old. But I have some hard questions, and it's not going to be easy. And she didn't want to answer, but she said, all right, 
I'll do it. I said, you need, you need to do it. I mean, this, this is, this is a pivotal point. Yeah. So I asked her some tough, tough questions that I think about in hindsight, the thought of sitting across from my adult children and having them ask me about my sexual partners yeah. or any of that would be really hard. So I felt for her, but I needed these answers. And so she was as honest with me that, that I think that she's ever been. I made notes. She didn't like that, but I, she goes, well, you might as well tape record it. And I said, well, I can, I can add that to the mix. Yeah. Some of the reasons she gave me, cause I said, at what point did you realize that I was Donald's daughter and not Lester's? And she said, I never even thought about it. I said, mom, mom, look at me. Everybody knows that I'm his daughter. I said, did you ever try reaching out to him? She goes, nope, never tried. And I said, help me understand, you know, why, why did you do this? She said, um, I always wanted a blonde haired, blue eyed baby girl, and I got it, and I didn't have to share you with anybody. And everybody was jealous of me because I didn't have to share you with your dad. That was her reasoning? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What do you think of that? It told me how sick she was, how selfish she was. I asked her, she said, I don't understand why you have a problem with this. You turned out just fine. You had no problems. I said, yes, I was always a pleaser. I always followed the rules. I always did what I was supposed to do. I said, why would you take that away from me? And she said, well, maybe if you had been a bad kid, maybe then I would have shipped you off to him. So now in this adult mind of mine, I think I now have been given the worst punishment for being a good kid. Had I been a shit, Maybe then I could have met my dad. Yeah, which it's like, is that even real? Like, you know, did she just say that? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, or I should say, she did tell me a couple of times that I just need to get over it. Just need to get over it. Did she apologize? No, I had asked her. I closed my notebook and I said, Mom, all I've wanted through this whole process is for you to acknowledge the pain the hurt, what you took away from me and my dad. I just want you to say you're sorry. She looked at me and I was so hopeful. I, I expected it. And she says to me, she said, I am sorry you feel that way. Ooh, the most non-apology apology. Mm -hmm. So I knew at that moment I would never get from her what I needed, what I wanted. And that was um, October of 2020 was I, my sit down with her. And at this point I had met all of my family and I knew exactly what I had lost out on. So fast forward two months of me trying to navigate all of the feelings, the emotions, the grief, the hatred, the devastation, the, 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 the whole wheel of emotions. And I finally, I reached out to a therapist and I started therapy December 23rd, 2020. And I hadn't been in therapy since I was probably a kid. And so I'm, I'm a very um, non-trusting person. I don't trust people. I don't open up a lot. I was very fortunate in a small town uh, right next door to where I live out in the middle of nowhere. I found a therapist who specializes in trauma and adoption which was okay. the closest things mm -hmm. I could get to. And I still see her. I was seeing her 
virtually initially because of COVID. And then as soon as I could get in-house, I went in-house and then we started EMDR. Because what I found out and not knowing it when I reached out for therapy um, is everything that happened triggered a lot of childhood trauma that then was surfacing and it was too much. I couldn't handle anything, any emotion. It, it was overwhelming for me. And so we did not start talking about my mom issues until probably a year into it because we were dealing with a lot. I mean, she knew the story. She knew my relationship with my mom. Um, but to dig into it, we it took us a long time because we were working on all that childhood trauma. Yeah. One of the things she had suggested was to write a letter to my mom and to my dad, even though I never had to send him, I didn't have to do anything just to get it out. I sat down and hand wrote a seven page letter to my mom. And without hesitation, first draft, I put it in the mail to my mom. What did it say? Can you share any of it or? It was, again, I've always been the good girl. I've never, I've always walked on eggshells around her specifically, but around everybody, my sisters, everything. Um, and I wanted her to hear me because every time I would talk to her, she would invalidate my feelings, my emotions, and that's not the way it happened. Well, what about me? I'm the victim, not you. You turned out okay. You know, so I needed to say what I was feeling knowing she had to hear it because it's written down. And so I, again, I preface everything. I'm like, I know this is going to be tough, but I have to say it. I've given you plenty of time to come to me offering any kind of apology, empathy, asking for forgiveness from me, trying to understand what I'm going through, or at the very least acknowledging what was stolen from me and my dad by your lies for 47 years. Um, and it continues on. And mm -hmm. I I would not take any responsibility for what she decided. I, I emphasize that you did this to me. Yes. I've done nothing to deserve this, mm -hmm. which thanks to therapy. I mean, these are things that I've had to work really hard on to not carry that, that burden. Like it's my fault that yeah. I did something wrong. Um, asking her if she not ever once did she think about anybody other than herself. Mm -hmm. And then I was mad because I have two children. What if there was a medical condition that could have been passed to my children? That made me more mad than even myself because you can mess with me. You messed with me my entire life. You're now messing with the potential of my, my children. I, I was livid. And so I more or less was very honest, very angry, and laid out what my expectations were. And I actually said, I'm in therapy. I would highly recommend it for you. Um, and if this is ever going to get better, you will either come to therapy with me, go to therapy on your own, and you will apologize to me or this we're done. Told her that my life is great in spite of everything you tried doing. And I'm a different person now. And my therapist was shocked <laughs> that I sent it. Um, but it felt good. It felt like such a heavy weight lifted off of me. And that was mailed on March 30th of 2022. On April 20th, I got a response from my mom via letter continuing to do 
the victim. Mm -hmm. And the first thing she says is, first off, I deeply and sincerely apologize for ruining your life for the last two and a half years. Mm -hmm. So she continued to be the victim and she will not drive here to go to therapy with me. And that was it. But I should also add here, there's three sisters. I'm the oldest. My two youngest sisters long ago had no relationship with my mother. I was mm. the last one to have a relationship with my mom. And now she has no relationship with any of her children. Wow. For totally unrelated thing. Do you still have a relationship with your sisters? Again, nothing's easy. Um, right. So that's a complicated complicated answer. Um, at the time of this discovery, my middle sister and I had not had a relationship for over 30 years. She had moved out of the house when she was probably in sixth or seventh grade to live with her dad, my mom's first husband, ex-husband. And my mom was angry, rightfully hurt, um, cut her off and her ex-husband which meant I naturally had to dislike them as well, or else I'd pay right. dearly. So we had no relationship for 30 years. My youngest sister and I had been close, but I had always walked on eggshells around her because she's an opposite personality than me. She's very no filter, says it how it is. We had drifted apart the last two years prior to my discovery. And ironically, she had started slowly reaching out and I had started therapy by that time, and I was open to rekindling our our relationship, um, but under new terms. I was not going to be. I, I was not going to get walked all over anymore. And I told her my story. She was devastated that she wasn't there for me when it happened. Our new relationship is better than it had ever been. We are That's in a much good. different place. Yeah, my sister. I had reached out to her March of 2020. I realized that my relationships that I had cut off were because of my mom, and that wasn't fair. So I had extended uh, Olive Branch and reached out to her via Facebook Messenger and said, I'm sure you're confused to hear from me, and we have slowly built up our relationship. And then my stepdad, my mom's second husband, I had also cut him off, so he's my youngest sister's dad. Same thing. I sent out an olive branch to him because I realized I had lost him because of my mom. And we had been fairly close. Um, and we have an amazing relationship. He and his wife and I and my husband have gotten together multiple times. They've come and spent a weekend at our house. So, you know, I, I, when I question what I've lost, I have to stop and remind myself what I've gained. Yeah. Um, not only my paternal family, but the rebuilt relationships um, on better terms. And I am becoming a better person, a healthier person mentally um, because of the work I'm doing that I was, I feel like I was forced to do because of the, the NPE. There's so many regrets I have. And, and I imagine how life would have been so different and I wished I'd had my dad. That's all any little girl wants is to have their dad in their life. Knowing what an amazing dad he was and he would have been to me changes me and I miss it and it breaks my heart. But at the same time, I remind myself I wouldn't have the children I have. I wouldn't have my husband. 
Um, I would be a different person, good, bad, or otherwise, but I can't regret, I do not regret my children, and I wouldn't give up my husband. Yeah. So it's such this constant emotional pull, the grieving something you didn't have, almost fantasizing about how amazing it would have been had it been, especially from a girl who didn't have her BCF in her life ever, never. Yeah, so... (sighs) Kind of going back to that, did you continue to have a relationship with your with the first person that you thought was your father, Pat, or was he just gone after? Okay. He was gone. So when my sister moved in with him, there was zero contact after that. Okay. And I regret that now because if I could rebuild that relationship, I would. But unfortunately, he passed away a couple of years ago. Okay. And my sister told me, my middle sister had told me, he always said he always loved you. Mm. even though we had no relationship. And that breaks my heart because I had it. I could have had it if my mom would have allowed it. Right. And, that and you were also a was child. Taken. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah. Lester, you never spoke to. You never. I've never spoken to him. I, at the same time that I wrote my mom the seven-page letter, I wrote him about a four-page letter and mailed it to him. And it was kind of a comical letter because I said, you know, I don't know you. You know about me, but I want you to know, congratulations, you are not the father. And shame on you for abandoning who you thought or didn't think was your kid. Your name was on the birth. You know, I pretty much called him out. Also, at the same time, apologizing. And I said, anything you ever paid my mom, you certainly should go after her and get it back because you are not the father. And I would love to hear your side of the story. But if not, have a great life. Thank you. Sincerely, Stacy. So I got a lot of satisfaction from that because one, if it's something he ever was struggling having done, then I've given him some relief. And if he never thought about me, then shame on him. And yeah, I just reminded him again. So that was true. This story, potentially, I guess you don't really know for, for sure, for sure. But the theory is that he didn't want to be involved and he knew about you. He knew about me. Yes. So subsequently, uh, I've suddenly over the last two and a half years have become a pretty good detective. Um, I reached out to the courthouse that I, the, the County I was born to get any records from, because my mom told me my BCF had paid a lump sum to never have anything to do with me. So I thought, Mm -hmm. well, there's gotta be record of this. So I reached out, turns out there were some sealed records. So I had to get a judge's approval to access my sealed records. I got them. um, And yes, in fact, they went to court. He denied, but he paid her off. And that was also devastating because it was a whopping $1,500 he paid to have nothing to do with his own child. Um, So I know he knew about me my whole life. Oh my gosh. I mean, you seem like you have done so much work in the few years that you've known about all of this, where would you say you are right now in your journey? I'm a different person. I'm a better person. I'm a more authentic person. Thanks to therapy. Thanks to our Togetherness Heals group. Thanks to retreat. I've met some lifelong friends that I communicate with daily um, to not feel alone and not to feel strange having emotions that just will come out of nowhere but it's also hardened me a little bit so you know you watch movies you hear acquaintances talk about this happy 
marriage and these kids and these this and these that's and and I'm just I believe everybody lies everybody has secrets and do not believe anything that are sadly that our parents or that generation have said you know I talked with a neighbor and she had an NPE on her husband's extended family and they weren't very welcoming. My friend said, I don't understand these people. Why would they not welcome this person? You know, it's a, a new family member. And she said, if, if my husband had a child who showed up at the door, I'd welcome them. I said, okay, how many years have you been married? 25 years. I said, what if a 22-year-old walked up and knocked on the door? How welcoming would you be then? I said, these are the stories that people struggle with. And so I, I look at everybody now thinking, they all have a secret and they're all lying. <laughs> I know it's, it's not funny, but I so relate to that. And and I don't, I don't judge anybody based on, you know, people do and make mistakes. Yes. That's not what I, I'm not saying everybody's cheating and everybody's, you know, I, I, it's the lying part because I think to me, to my core is if the one person, and this is what I, one of the things I put in my mind my mom's letter, the one person who you should be able to trust with your entire life from day one, if that person can lie to you, everybody can. Mm. It changes you to your core. And I don't want it to. I don't want to be angry. I'm also learning that anger is grief in disguise. And so I'm trying to embrace, let myself cry it out versus being angry about it because it goes away then easier. Yeah. Um, so I, I've, I'm still in therapy. I go every other week. I'm not ready to end it. Um, I've got work to do, but I've already noticed improvements in my, my self-talk and my, neg- my negative self-talk. And, and I'm grateful for that. And I'm grateful for the person I'm, be- I'm becoming. And I'm also very happy that the relationships I'm choosing are authentic. Oh, good. Yeah. That's powerful. I'm not allowing BS in my life and I'm not uh, walking on eggshells for anybody ever again. And so that I'm grateful for. Yeah. I'm very grateful for. Oh, that's amazing. I do want to add, um, I, it's not going to be easy and it's not going to be cheap. But I have started the process of correcting my birth certificate. I have met with an attorney and the paperwork is, it's been started. Um, Where it's a problem is because he's deceased. So he Mm. can't take a paternity test and or sign off that he is the father. Um, So that's why it'll be expensive. If he was alive, it'd be easy. I have told my mom, this is the one thing that I expect from her. So I know she will sign off on it. And I'm going to have to stand in front of a judge and explain my story. And hopefully they have a heart and they aren't keeping a secret of their own. So they will be more um, understanding. And um, my goal is to get that changed. It'll probably be the beginning of next year. I was hoping by the end of this year, but that will be a huge, huge thing for me to give him what he deserves and what I, I deserve as well. So, yeah. Oh, that's incredible. That's incredible. Please keep me posted on how that goes. What advice would you offer a parent who is keeping a DNA surprise from their child? You know, I've, I've heard you ask this question and I've thought about it every time. And for me, you, they, you need to tell them. Um, at what age? That I don't know. I think you could seek professional help to find out when a child is 
um, the right age to tell them. It should be from birth, um, but if it's not, they need to know. And if they're adults, you need to get ahead of it because they will find out. Had my mom told me, you know, when I was 18, when I was 20, the hundred times I asked her when I was pregnant with my first child, any of those times, I would rather have heard it from her than wait until I'm 47 years old. My dad is deceased. I don't have that opportunity. And that's when you, as the mother, you need to put your child first in this case, because we all have the right to know the truth. And in some cases, the biological fathers have the right to know. A lot of them don't ever get that chance and they need to know. They have the right to know. What advice would you offer someone who just found out that they're an NPE? You're not alone. Find a good therapist and you won't find an NPE therapist very easily if you do at all. Um, Trauma, adoption is very similar. And so there's a lot of, of correlation there. So find a therapist you're comfortable with and you trust and connect with others. Um, It took me a year and a half to finally get on a Zoom, uh, Togetherness Heals Zoom, because I wasn't ready. And I wished I would have gotten on early, but also known that I didn't have to participate. I could just listen. I don't even have to turn my camera on. Just to listen and hear other people's stories is so important. Um, I also sought out every podcast episode I could listen to. I couldn't get enough information. And I think to know you're not alone is the biggest piece and to surround yourself with that support. Um, I'm fortunate that my husband is has been supportive since day one. My adult children are amazing and I have a, a small group of friends that have been there. And so if you don't have that, because I know a lot of people don't, you need you can find it outside of that. And you are not a bad person because of it. It's not our burden to carry. Well, Stacy, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your double NPE story. Um, I cannot imagine all that you've been through. I'm kind of going through it twice in a way, but I'm so happy that things are going well with your newfound family and your raised family that you're reestablishing some of those relationships. And I hope that it continues to go positively for you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate what you do and and you're a huge asset to the community as well. Thank you. Thanks again to Stacy for sharing her story. If you have a DNA surprise story that you'd like to share, please email dnasurprises at gmail.com. And now, Stacy's letter. March 30th, 2022. Mom, so I decided to write you a letter after almost two and a half years of trying to navigate my new story regarding my true identity. I feel like I've given you plenty of time to come to me offering any kind of apology, empathy, asking for forgiveness from me, trying to understand what I'm going through, or at the very least acknowledging what was stolen from me and my dad by your lies for 47 years. Yet you've not once reached out asking how I'm doing, if I want to talk any more about it, or if I have any additional questions. Nothing. The lack of any of these speaks volumes to me, not about me, but about who you are. You did this to me. I've done nothing to you to deserve this or to cause this. And the fact that the first place you went with or after revealing this lie was how you felt, how it made you look, 
how others might think about you, shows that the lie was about you, for you, and because of you. Did you ever, ever think about how this might affect your innocent daughter even once, or what you stole from an innocent father who thought he could never have children of his own? I'd love to know the answers to these questions. These last two and a half years have been life-changing for me. One of the biggest things is going my whole life being told by you and feeling that my dad never wanted anything to do with you, to finding out my true dad would have done anything to have been in my life had he ever been given the knowledge, the truth. How could you have knowingly lied to me my whole life about such a major thing, intentionally telling your own daughter that she wasn't even worthy of her own dad's love, knowing the whole time my BCF wasn't my father, never giving my dad or I the chance. You said you didn't want to share your blue-eyed baby doll with anyone. Well, then why did you pick the man who lived the closest? I would like you to know that if you had apologized to me when the truth came out, I would have forgiven you, not been as angry and hurt as I am. Had you said you were sorry when we last met and I told you that all I hoped to hear from you was that you were sorry, I would have forgiven you. But you couldn't even apologize when I asked for it. That speaks volumes. I told you multiple times that I'm not angry at you for the decisions you made as a young 21-year-old in 1972. Times were different then. You did the best you thought you could at that time. What I am very angry about is the decisions you made the rest of my 47 years and the many times you could have put my well-being before your quote-unquote reputation. You could have told the truth when I found out your first husband wasn't my dad by accident and painfully at 10 or 11. You could have told me any of the many times I brought my BCF up. Of course, when your second husband adopted me, when I got married knowing I was going to have babies for medical purposes, but not once did you put my or my grandchildren's lives before yourself. I was your firstborn. You were the one person in this world I should have been able to trust with my life. The one person in this world who I should never have had to worry about betraying me. Yet, you betrayed me in the worst way. I have trust issues, always have, and now there is no wondering why. My mom betrayed me to my core, affecting my self-worth, self-esteem, trust, and security. I was robbed of an amazing dad. My dad was robbed of having his own flesh and blood daughter. You had no right to take that from both of us. I've known for years that you had your faults, as we all do, and I recognized how different of a mother, wife, friend I wanted to be to those that mean the most to me. And I am very different than you. It wasn't easy, but I was motivated to do better. And I did. I would never, ever do to my kids what you did to me. We all make mistakes and could do things better, differently. And I do. I wasn't perfect, and I will continue to, but kids will never know the pain I have. I have always wanted better for my kids than I had 
or what I did. You never wanted that for your kids. You wanted to be the savior, the rescuer, and hated when anyone, including your daughters, did good, were successful, were happy, or God forbid, were loved by anyone fully. Mom, you have three daughters that you have no relationship with, yet you don't even try. You make zero effort. How is that possible? That blows my mind. And there's only one common denominator, you. I would move heaven and earth for my children and would never settle for no relationship. I'd schedule visits when it worked for them, prioritize time with them over everything else. But that's me and one example of how different we are and of what I learned from you to do different. One of many things that stuck out to me from our last sit down was you kept telling me to quote unquote, get over it regarding my dad. I will never get over losing, being robbed of something that was so selfishly taken from me. Yet you continued to repeatedly blame your parents for every damn thing, not only that conversation, but for your whole life. Stop being a victim. We all have choices and playing victim isn't healthy, mentally or physically, and is the easy way out of taking responsibility for your own selfish actions. You can do better. Therapy is a great place to start if you truly want to be and do better. I've been in therapy for the last year, and I am working on a lot of things, which include healthy boundaries and self-worth. The trauma is deep, but I am not now, ever have been, or ever will play victim. I am a victim of being robbed of my loving dad that I deserved, but hanging on to that anger will only continue to damage me, and I won't do that. If there is ever a time for you to express anything, it's now. If you ever want to potentially build anything with me, you are welcome to come to a session or more with me. I began therapy initially 100% to make sure I had no guilt of going very limited contact with you when you die. That's what I told my therapist when we first talked, and after a year, we are just starting to touch on this. I've also learned a lot about old relationships and why most ended. You mentioned that you put good stepfathers in front of me. That statement, even though it's messed up, was true. And figuring out how you ruined my relationship with each of them for your own insecurities made me realize that I needed to reach out and work on mending them. This included my middle sister, and my adopted stepfather. Your problems with them are yours, not mine. So I've been able to start building new, healthy relationships with them, and I am so grateful to them for that. Also, one thing that sticks with me from our first conversation about my dad, you said you were going to leave a note in your will telling me this huge information, saying you didn't want to be criticized, not have to relive all this, and so I couldn't yell at you. Do you realize how selfish chicken shit that is and was once again another example of how I was never a priority to you? It was always about you. I realize some of the things I've said may seem harsh, probably hard to hear. However, they are my truths, and as much as I needed to share them, I needed you to hear them. Now it's up to you how we move forward from here. What or how you respond is completely up to you. I will say that if there is any chance that you want to try and mend anything between us, 
I need you to acknowledge my hurt, the pain this caused me, and take responsibility for what you destroyed. My life is great. I have an amazing and supportive husband and awesome, strong, and independent children. I am fortunate, and I am loved. In the last two and a half years, I've grown, changed, and learned a lot about not only myself, but others. I am not destroyed. I was broken, but I am becoming my authentic, true to myself person. Stacy. Again, that was March 30th of 22. And surprisingly, a couple of weeks later, I received a letter in response from my mom. I won't bore you with the, the details of it. Um, the victim mentality continued, um, but the first paragraph really answers what I got from her. And it's Stacy. First off, I deeply and sincerely apologize for ruining your life for the last two and a half years. Also, I want to apologize to you and your sisters for ruining their lives for the last 40 years. Apparently, I was a terrible mother, provider, and person that whole time. She continues on to tell me a story about my dad and my BCF um, and um, how she felt shame and guilt being an unmarried pregnant girl looked down on. Um, her parents weren't proud of her, that type of thing, which I completely understand. Never again taking ownership, never truly apologizing um, other than you know ruining my entire life, which wasn't an apology. Um, and she more or less said, move on, kind of a thing with her and I. Um, she says at the end, I'm over 70 years old and my back hurts every day. I won't fight this battle any longer. Part of me is happy you found a new family, but it's hard to embrace when I know I have no family, except for the grandkids. I live with the grief every day, wondering what went wrong with my daughter. I guess now I know it was all me being a bad mom and parent. Also, I would go to therapy with you, but I won't drive five hours to do it. Love, Mom. Um, and that was it. Um, I didn't get what I wanted, but I felt an immense amount of weight lifted off my shoulders when I sent the letter, able to write out all of my feelings and know that she had to hear it. She couldn't interrupt me. She couldn't shut me down. She had to read it. Um, she couldn't interrupt. And so um, that gives me some comfort. And in the meantime, we are extremely limited contact. Uh, we ran into each other at a family wedding. Um, we are cordial as if we are long distance relatives who just say, hi, how are you kind of a thing. And I'm okay with that. I've come to peace with that. Um, and that's that. Mm -hmm.